Hello and welcome to another edition of Childhood Remaster. This is the podcast where we look back on the cartoons and movies and TV shows of our youth and see if they're still worth a damn. Or not. Or not, which is far too often the case. I am Sean. And I'm Chris. And today we're going to be looking at a movie that just is just so full of feels. Like real feels, not not forced Merchandised feels. Mer- merchandising no, no, no. Feels. These are these must be real feels. These are Sean. pure and in and real feelings that we're going to express from 1985's The Care Bears movie. Before we talk about what we thought about it or our memories of it, let's just give a rundown on what it is, and and I guess let's go from there. So the Care Bears movie is a, is a movie from 1985. It's a Canadian-American animated fantasy film, and it's the second feature film from Nelvana, Nelvana Studios, and one of the first films based directly on a toy line, and it introduced the Care Bears in, as a feature film but technically the Care Bears had been on television before in a, in a made-for-TV special. But this is the first time in an actual movie in a real theater. Mm-hmm. And it also introduced the Care Bear Cousins, which is a secondary set of characters to sell toys. And in the film, an orphanage owner tells a story about the Care Bears who live in a cloud-filled land called Carolot, traveling across Earth. The Bears help two lonely kids named Kim and Jason find new parents and also save a young magician's apprentice named Nicholas from an evil spirit's influence. Deep within a place called the Forced Feelings, Kim and Jason and their friends soon meet another group of creatures called the Care Bear Cousins, and they go on this adventure, and they help save Carolot. Yeah. The movie premiered March 24th, 1985 in Washington, D.C., and was released in North America on the 29th. With a runtime of 75 minutes, Strawberry Shortcake meets the Berrykins, also a Nelvana film, played along with it as a double feature in the theater. And this release was part of a special Olympics benefit. The The movie played primarily at matinees and early evening showings yeah, when mostly, it came out. Yeah, that, that's good for kids. Yes, production lasted eight months with a production budget of at least $2 million and took place in Canada, Taiwan, South Korea. Over $34 million in worldwide sales, it set a box office record for Canadian and non-Disney animation at the time and has remained one of Goldwyn's largest earning releases at the time there really weren't any films for children or families when this came out so it was like a big deal the the core demographic for this movie was six years old as specifically stated by the co-founders of Nelvana. And it's really apparent in the the writing and the the way that the the way that the movie like progresses yes he actually said that they that he was aiming for Hirsch said that they were claiming for a, quote, pre-literate audience. Several months later, Disney released The Black Cauldron, which we've discussed before, and it tanked. And this movie scared Disney like crazy. So the the performer, the performance of the Care Bears movie also was dismissed by Don Bluth, who at this point had left Disney and had already done Secret of Nim. 
and and he said that Care Bears as a change in taste for family movies uh, was was not true. Ron Clements said that everyone was scared about the future of Disney as a result of the success of this movie. And 101 Dalmatians got a reissue that then grossed more than Black Cauldron and the Care Bears movie, and then Disney was fine. Uh, that kind of kind of got them back on the path towards what we call the Disney Golden Age. Yeah, right? Disney uh, the, Disney had a it was a real scare for them because, like we said when we discussed the Black Cauldron, the movie tanked. The movie was an absolute abject failure. It was it was way off of the it was way off of the the what disney had been doing in terms of tone and in terms of success and so i they, think they made a fourth of what it cost to make yeah so. so they really they really were afraid when this movie came out because it did really really well and they they sort of comparatively saw, well comparatively yeah to what they were doing at the time so they saw it as a sort of a wake-up call like we need to change what we're doing or we're going to tank as a company because movies are not cheap to make no, they they are sort of a financial gamble. Yeah, so, and and like like what happens at Sony, you have a couple of duds in a row, and it could potentially tank your entire studio. You could, yeah, especially or like Fox and, Animation, like what happened with Titan AE. Yeah, I feel like I feel like animation is even more so vulnerable to that because animation is such a one time consuming and finance consuming process to make an entire movie you spend a lot of money and spend a lot of time probably a lot more than a comparative regular movie because you have lots and lots of people animating and that's why they've started to to learn how that's why as the technology has gotten better you've seen more and more of these 3d kids movies now that are a lot Folk, easier. To they're make. a lot easier to make, and so that you, you get several of them a year now. Where it used to get you get a, one or two, and then that was it. But now you're getting a bunch because they're cheaper to produce, and and it's a kind of a good easy money maker for studios. They can pump one out. It costs them twenty million dollars to make or thirty million dollars to make. It might make a hundred million dollars total, and then in the aftermarket sales, it makes some money. So you know they always will make some money. They're less of a gamble now, but at the time it was a gamble because nobody was doing it. Yeah. So with that said. What, what, you, yeah. what were your memories of this as a kid? Do you have memories of this? I have some memories of it. Um, I actually, I remember seeing this movie a couple of times throughout my youth, but it was never something that I sought out. It was something that usually, I want to say... accidental? Yeah, I want to say I was at my grandmother's house and someone else wanted to watch it and I was just there in the room, so I sort of watched it because it was on. Uh, there were other there were other instances where it came on as like a like a, a Saturday afternoon movie or like a Sunday afternoon movie on TV where I watched it too because it just happened to be on. But it, it was never really a movie that I wanted to watch that I sought out to 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 watch. So um, at the time, it was kind of entertaining. It wasn't it wasn't really my it wasn't really my bag. Um, yeah. By the time I started watching it, I think I was more into stuff like Ninja Turtles. I mean, I didn't watch it in the first release. I didn't. I definitely didn't watch it in the theater. So when I saw it, it was either on like home video or it was on TV. So by that time, I was into Ninja Turtles. I was into Ghostbusters. I was into other things that were yeah. that were more like typical boy stuff. And I I saw the Care Bears in the same vein that I saw like My Little Pony and Strawberry Shortcake where it really wasn't for me. So I wasn't interested in it. So it was like, eh, it's on, I'll watch it, but I'm not going to seek it out. Interesting. I, I, mine was almost, almost the opposite. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I, so some of my earliest memories of watching a movie with my parents or as a kid 
were of this movie, actually. Hmm. I I mean, it came out in 85, so I was two years old when this movie came out. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I probably saw it at two or three years old is when it came out. I have a, a cousin of mine who is almost, he's like a year and a half older than I am. So he would have, I mean, the both of us are sort of in the demographic for it. I mean, so are you. But, yeah. But, you know, we we're in the demographic for it. And it came out, and I, I could have sworn my parents recorded it off of a TV, and and that we rewatched the crap out of it. I, I, I really liked this movie as a kid. So by the time I started to age out of it, by age six or seven, I was still watching it, mm-hmm. but I was I was sort of transitioned into other things. And then over the years, if it was on, I, I mean, I'd be like fourteen years old, and it would be on TV. And I'd probably watch it. You know, I have a sister who is uh, almost six years younger than I am. And and I remember her watching the Care Bears and me watching it with her and being totally okay with it. I, I have memories of being scared of the villain and rooting for the Care Bears. And I, I yeah, I have a lot of memories actually about this movie. And I liked it as a kid. Well, what's funny to me, uh, like I remembering back on it, I, I definitely remember this movie. But I remember, I, and I I didn't look it up, but I, I don't know if it was other movies that Care Bears put out or if it was the TV show because there was a t there was a TV show that ran for a couple of years yes. too. But mm-hmm. I was I was looking it up right before we right before we started. I remembered characters how uh, the design of characters changed a little bit. Like there's a character named Champ Bear that in in this movie, all the Care Bears look the same. I mean, design-wise, they're all just bears that have More that, or less, are, that yeah. are different colors and have different uh, symbols. But later on, and I can't remember if it was in a different movie or if it was just in the show, the Care Bears started to change a little bit in the design. Like Champ Bear wore like a Letterman jacket and had a headband. That was a TV show. That was the TV show. Mm-hmm. And then I remember Cheer yep. Bear had like a ponytail. Yeah, it was the TV show. Yeah, okay. Well, and in the TV show, uh, so the TV show was done by Deke and Nelvana. Deke did the first season in 85 and then the subsequent seasons after it was all Nelvana. And then they had changed some done some changes to the character designs. And then there was a Care Bear movie two, which you and I were talking about right before we filmed, because there's some like all kinds of issues with that one. Uh, it was critically panned and there's all kinds of stuff going on. And then there's a third one. And that's one I think a lot of people probably remember. And that is the Alice in Wonderland one where the Care Bears go through the looking glass along with this little girl to help save Wonderland. And, there is a rapping cat. Uh, the, the Cheshire Cat raps. Oh, man, I missed that and, one. And, yeah, and the Mad Hatter uh, sings a song about being mad about hats. And stuff. I, I just watched it, not like, two days ago. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's jump into what this movie is. So, the Care Bears, as characters, are a group of multicolored bears. Um, they were originally painted by an artist named Alina uh, Kucharik, who worked for American Greetings in 1981, and were used, they were supposed to be used on greeting cards. But the characters uh, were actually put on toys and used in TV shows and films. In 1983, Kenner turned the Care Bears into plush teddy bears. And they appeared in TV specials called The Care Bears in the Land Without Feelings in 83. And The Care Bears Battle the Freeze Machine in 84. Those were the made-for-TV movies before the actual like theatrical release yeah. movie that came out. As, as a fun side note out of the trivia section... 
there is an episode of Rugrats that we actually covered back when we covered Rugrats. Uh, I believe it was my request, too. Yeah, the Reptar on Ice one. Yes, slash... No, 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 it was the other one. It's at the movies, when they go to the movie theater. Yeah. And the family goes to go see this awful, terrible, essentially Care Bears ripoff. Mm-hmm. Starring the dummy bears, who are they're sort of patterned after the Care Bears, and they go see the land without smiles, <laughs> and the land without smiles is obviously a play on that TV film, and they do things in that movie that are actually sort of stolen from the second. Care Bears theatrical release. It's like a sort of a hodgepodge. That's the one where he said, uh, Grandpa says, I'd rather rot my teeth than rot my brain. (laughs) Uh, It's my favorite line out of of that whole series is is that one episode. uh, So they actually had a TV series that ran from 85 to 88 uh, that, that encompassed the time of this movie. They had three theatrical release movies. This is the first of them. The second one, like we said, was critically panned. It's sort of like retro... Uh, There's ret- some serious story issues. I, I think yeah. it'll be fun for us to cover, so let's not yeah. talk about that one. And then the third one, because you've also never seen that. Did, did you... Uh, before we continue, did you talk to anybody about that we were going to do this episode coming no. up? Or, no? So... When I watched the movie, I had posted that I was watching the movie uh, on social media, and and I got a lot of feedback from from people who were like very excited for us to watch <laughs> this movie, all from adults over the age of thirty. So I I feel like I'm not alone in loving the Care Bears as a kid. And <laughs> yeah, well, Kat, when Kathy got home, I was watching it because I, I we, uh-huh. we went out. She got back from work. This morning. This morning, yeah. and then we went out to breakfast, and then I watched it when we got home, and she kept come, and she kept hearing me, because I would go, oh, God. <laughs> oh. She's <laughs> like, well, how dare you? Yeah, no, she kept she Yeah, kept I got a lot of good on. feedback from people who were very excited that we were covering this episode. Yeah, there, there's a lot to talk about with the Care Bears, so let's, let's kind of breeze through some of this stuff. The screenplay was written by Peter Souter. For this movie. He wrote all three Care Bear movies, though. He also wrote for Babar, Strawberry Shortcake, and the Star animated... Star Wars Droids. Yeah, the animated We've talked droids. about that a lot. I, we gotta watch it at some point. I don't think I've ever seen it. I feel like I have, but I don't remember anything about yeah, it. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, he was the head writer for the first season of Inspector Gadget, and he was also the story editor for Roly Poly Ollie and the Donkey Kong Country cartoon. Well, this was pro- produced by the three founders of... The of Nelvana. So the first is Michael Hirsch, who uh, was the last holdout as one of the original founders for Nelvana to sell his holdings in in Nelvana, and he sold them in two thousand for five hundred forty million Canadian. I, I didn't look at the exchange rate on that. That's close. But enough. but he he did uh, he did animated projects like Beetlejuice, Babar, and Roly Poly Ollie, and obviously of course the Care Bears. Patrick Lubert, who, again, co-founder of Nelvana, worked on Rock and Rule and also Gargoyles for Disney. He wrote oh. scripts for the company's first two animated specials, A Cosmic Christmas, which I made a request for us to cover last year. And we're not covering it this year, but we might. Yeah. Uh, it's possible. We, we could change it up. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting idea because it's one of the very first sort of animated Christmas specials that was not Rankin and Bass. And then uh, he also did The Devil and Daniel Mouse, which is also a, sort of a weird project. So that's that's a playoff of The Devil and Daniel Webster. Yeah. 
Okay. And, and then Interesting. there's Babar the movie. Clive A. Smith, the last co-founder and producer of this, directed A Cosmic Christmas. And he also helmed the studio's next special, The Devil and the Daniel Mouse. And he was the director of the 83 rock and roll film, but also he directed the Pippi Longstocking saga that was animated in 97. So he, he'd done more than one directing thing. He also directed something that I... I'm very excited about. He directed a segment in the Star Wars Holiday Special. The, the segment itself is the one that, that people seem to sort of discuss as the one that is the least awful. Uh, it, it's called The Faithful Wookiee or A Wookiee's Christmas. It's it's the, the one animated segment. Mm. Uh, and so get ready for the paint, Sean. Uh, get ready this year. It's, I'm, I'm making it happen. I don't care. <laughs> the production company was Novana Limited. It was founded in 71, and it was a both a production and an animation studio. They did shows like The Magic School Bus, Eek the Cat, The Terrible Thunder Lizards, and they also did dubs for anime like Beyblade, Bakugan, Cardcaptor Sakura, and Metabots, and they distributed The Fairly Odd Parents that Disney made. And five other... Um, Five other projects. Actually, I, th- I believe Fairly Odd Parents is Nickelodeon. Isn't that what I said? No, you said Disney. Oh, wanna... forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. It was also uh, produced by American Greetings. Uh, they hold exclusive rights for Nickelodeon characters, as well as the Popples, the Get Along Gang, and the Care Bears and Strawberry Shortcake. I, s- I notice a pattern here, Care Bears and Strawberry Shortcake. Perhaps yeah. we should cover Strawberry Shortcake? Maybe. Maybe maybe a, a a handful of pencils in my eyeball. Well, you know, one of the two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> directors, in this case, are just one. Arnie Selznick owns and operates a studio called Dancing Monkeys. Worked in the art department for Beetlejuice, the animated series, Babar, Inspector Gadget, and Adventures of Teddy Ruxpin, the animated series, Eat the Cat and Doug. Now the music... This is mo- the most interesting part of this whole movie, yeah. I think. I personally, I remembered all of these songs... Before I watched it with my kid, yeah, and then I knew all the words as we watched it, and and I had I got weird looks from my wife as I was as I was reciting lyrics from a 1985 animated Care Bears movie so there, as a 34 year old man on my couch on a Thursday or in, Wednesday whenever I watched it. In the movie, there are songs, and but this I I don't know if I would classify this as like a musical in the vein of like the Disney musicals, but there are songs. So there are songs that get played, like actual lyrical songs that get played over scenes from the movie where there's like a montage or something going on. But then there are also songs that the characters sing too. So You get both. You get it's both. Like, is this a musical or not a musical? I would say that it is. Yeah. I would technically consider this a musical because at some point characters sing to propel the story yeah so so in a way i guess it, this is a musical yeah there were the the music was composed by patricia cullen who composed for all the three care bears movies also rock and rule mad balls star wars droid star wars ewoks and several strawberry shortcake films but there were six actual songs that were written and performed for this for this uh, movie uh the first was they're performed by four different four different people so the the six songs are care Nobody cares like a bear. Home is in your heart. When you care, you're not afraid to try. Look out, he's after you, and in a Care Bear family. Now, they're performed by sort of a hodgepodge of different people. But but the people who perform these songs are... Um, the first one is Carol King, which... She's very, she's very famous. Very, very famous. Uh, she's a, a singer-songwriter 
composer. Her style of music is almost uh, more American folk. Yeah. Like 1960s American folk music. Yeah, Joni Mitchell, that type of... Yes, yes. And and her songs, some of her famous ones are like, uh, You've Got a Friend, I Feel the Earth Move, and So Far Away. So if you've heard any of those songs, that's Carol King. And that's why some of the Care Bear songs sort of sound, sound yeah. because it is. It says her. So she's the most successful female singer-songwriter of the latter half of the 20th century in the United States, having written or co-wrote 118 pop hits on the Billboard Hot 100 between 55 and 99. She also wrote 61 hits that charted in the UK, making her the most successful female singer-songwriter on the UK singles chart between 52 and 2005. So this is not uh, Small Potatoes. Yes. She is not for nothing. Uh, the next one is the voice that I remember the most of. Uh, <laughs> and it's John Sebastian. And he's best known for the song Welcome Back from 76. Mm. And uh, That's that, not the theme to Welcome it, Back Carter. Cotter is. I, be- I believe it is. Welcome back. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. He is also known for the band Love and Spoonful, and yes. his impromptu performance at Woodstock is actually very famous. It's a it's a point of like if you're into rock history and uh, musical history, uh, it, it's it's actually very famous because what happened was I, this is not in the notes. It's just because I'm I'm weird. Mm-hmm. But so what happened was is at Woodstock they they had some problems with the sound systems. And they needed an acoustic. They needed somebody to perform an acoustic set mm-hmm. on stage. And John Sebastian had shown up. He he was a famous uh, singer songwriter, and he had shown up just as a just as somebody to attend Woodstock. He just wanted to show up and have fun and like hang out and do drugs and whatever. And he he did. He was high. At that time, <laughs> when they had him perform. Now, there, there's like different stories about what day he performed, and probably because everybody's on acid. Uh, apparently, including John Sebastian, because uh, he was on acid and, and marijuana at the time when they called him up. And he said, sure, what the hell? So they handed him a guitar, and he did like a six-song set yeah. on stage. And it was apparently one of the, the more memorable performances of Woodstock. So I know it's sort of a side project, a side discussion, but... But his voice is super iconic with these movies, and, and I didn't put this in here, but but he actually does songs for all of the Care Bears movies. Huh. So it's his voice is sort of like the, the soundtrack a, of the films. He has a niche. Uh, yes, in the Care Bears movies. Yeah. So the, <laughs> the next uh, singer or band is NRBQ, who's a famous rock band from 66, known for live spontaneous performances. They're sort of a rockabilly, Beatles, Thelonious Monk style bands. Yeah, yeah, they they were known for doing like weird for like performance art on stage where they would like like behead cabbage patch dolls and set them on fire, just do all kinds of weird crazy See, stuff you know, on that, stage. That kind of shit just annoys me. <laughs> it really does. Like there there's a balance. There you know, there's a balance between like Pink Floyd who builds a wall and like does like a whole thing while they're playing and then like Oh, you mean shit. like Stonehenge? Like yeah, no. <laughs> like stupid shit like no. that. It drives me crazy. And then, then, so so you're not a fan of Guar? I like their music. I wouldn't go to their shows. <laughs> well, you know, uh, blood on the audience. It's it's all good. Yeah. Uh, By the way, Guar, Beavis and Butthead's favorite band of all time. They are. <laughs> now, the next band, the group that performed is the Tower of Power. They're a famous horn section and band from Oakland. 
And uh, I, I didn't want to get into them too much because their history is actually really long because they've had several members like flow in and out and, and we could actually spend a whole day on them too. So but we're not going to. I, the, I don't want to get name, into who performed all of these, yeah. but, the name but they're in the notes if you want to look them up. So I was going to say the name Tower of Power reminds me of a Frank Zappa song. And I'm reminded of it because Frank Zappa is supposed to be going on tour, even though he died about 20 years ago. As a hologram, he's going on tour. And he remi- oh, great. It's, a, it's yeah. another uh, Rem- Tupac. It reminds me of uh, the song uh, Bobby Brown. <laughs> the, the lyric goes, I can spend about an hour on the Tower of Power as long as I get a little golden shower. Well, you know, <laughs> people do pay extra for that golden shower. Hey there, me? people! I'm Bobby Brown. So look up that song. There is one person that we should men that we should mention because he performs as Braveheart Lion for the song "Home Is in Your Heart." He's the singing voice. That's his only role. But it's a very famous actor named Harry Dean Stanton. Hmm. But at the time that we record this, just died recently. Oh. Um, yeah, Harry Dean Stanton, uh, you know, we're going to get in the cast in a minute, but I'm just going to go ahead and, and talk about him now because he's kind of a big deal. So, Her- I mean, Harry Dean Stanton is this famous character actor. He's mostly smaller bit parts. He's a World War II veteran and who's done over, he's been acting for, he had been acting for over 70 years and he was in movies like Alien, Godfather Part Two, Cool Hand Luke. I mean, he had a seriously crazy career but he also had a music career too where he was he was known for having a really talented voice you can actually hear him sing in the movie cool hand luke he he has a Mm. his his character sings uh because he's one of the prison inmates but i know again sort of sidetrack but uh i just wanted to mention him now before we continue because although you know we mentioned these four people who perform he is somebody that that also sings, and he was only cast just to sing, and mm. then that was it. So, oh. well, let's jump into the rest of the cast then. So we have Mr. Cherrywood, who is the narrator. He is the one who the movie starts off with him. He's the the owner operator. Do you own a Do you own a orphanage, or do you just operate and run one? Whatever. He's the guy that's in charge. That depends on whether or not you use the children for slave labor. Well, I guess so, but. Uh, he's the he's in charge. All those little fingers—they're good for sewing, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I sewed my hand into a shoe. Can I go home? My uh, my fingers are oh oh your fingers hurt. Oh, well you've just got yard duty for the next eight hours. Anybody else's in, fingers hurt? Get in the box. <laughs> uh, so Mr. Cherrywood is the uh, he's the main he's the main storyteller, and he does throughout the throughout the the movie he pops in and out and like. You hear his voice talking. He's played by uh, Mickey Rooney, who is an actor and comedian. Uh, he died in 2014 at the age of 93. Man, he was old. He was old. Um, yeah. I believe you have a lot to say about Mr. Rooney. Oh, Mickey Rooney. Mickey Rooney. I I feel torn about Mickey Rooney here because we have on this show joked about Mickey Rooney several times for his Breakfast at Tiffany's yes. character. Because it is one of the most racist, I will, I yellow will on, face depictions ever. I will go out on, a, uh, out on a limb and say that it's probably the most racist depiction of anybody ever. Uh, it, by, by a live actor. Well, John Wayne did tape his eyes back as, as Genghis Khan. I mean, literal tape. So He, he so did, it's, but it he is didn't... comparable. He didn't, he didn't do the, like... The the miso shali yeah. yeah miso shali miso shali yeah no so, it, that is bad mm, oh well Mickey Rooney yeah. oh yeah so <laughs> 
the thing is, is I feel torn because he has roles like that, and his Hollywood um, private life has been Vanity Fair referred to it in 2014 literally as the original Hollywood train wreck. But at the same time, he is a very accomplished Hollywood actor. He started as a vaudeville actor, and one of his earliest roles on film was A Midsummer Night's Dream, of which I don't. Have you ever seen that original Midsummer Night's Dream no. from the 30s? It is incredibly good. It is huh. really, really. In fact, I would recommend anybody out there, if you're looking for a good example of Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream, this is a really, really good job of it. It's, a, it's black and white, and Mickey Rooney plays Puck. And I was going to ask if he played Puck. Yeah, he played Puck. And I believe at the time he was like 12 or f maybe 15 years old, something like that. And so he was actually a child actor at the time. And this is pre-child labor laws. So, so, so he was working 15-hour days and not going to school? Yeah, basically. And so l later on, in between 1939 and 1941, he was the top box office draw in film. Period. He was the first teenager to be nominated for an Oscar in 38. And I believe in 39, they gave him an honorary uh, adolescent uh, Oscar. He did get a, an honorary Oscar uh, as a septuagenarian also in his later years. They gave him one at one of the Oscars. I don't remember which one. But as he got in 41, we went to World War II, right? Mm -hmm. And then he got drafted and then he... He did two things. So he performed for troops, which was pretty common at the time, where they would take these guys that they wanted to look like everybody's, quote, doing their part, and they would essentially go work for free mm -hmm. um, as performers for the military. But he did also see real action, too, and he served uh, overseas, I believe, in Europe. And when he got out of the military... By then, he was too old to get roles as a kid, but he's a, he was a short guy, so he was too short to get leading roles as well. So he was his, stuck in the middle there. He was stuck in the middle, and his career kind of took a dive. And then he, as he got older, his career would kind of rise and fall and rise and fall. He'd have periods of time where he was doing pretty well, and he'd be in a big movie like Breakfast at Tiffany's. And then he'd have other movies where... He wouldn't. And when he died, uh, what Vanity Fair said about him was that essentially he struggled with alcohol and pill addiction and married eight times, the first time to Ava Gardner. Despite earning millions of dollars during his career, he had to file for bankruptcy in 62. Shortly before his death in 2014, he alleged mistreatment by some family members and testified before Congress about the physical abuse. I remember that. And by the end of his life, his millions in earnings had dwindled to an estate that had value of only $18,000. And he died owing medical bills, back taxes, and contributions were solicited from the public. So that's kind of, I mean, it's sort of a tragic story yeah. of like what can happen when your finances are mismanaged. That's actually very common. I think we've talked about that before with Hollywood actors and actresses and, I, and sports stars. Actually, it's the most common. Yeah. And, and lottery happens, winners, too. It happens a lot with uh, with child actors because you have someone else who's taking control of the finances, usually. Yeah. Like the kid is not going to be taking care of their own 
bank account. So. Or even if they have, even if it does go untouched as soon as they get 18, they have all this money and really a, a substandard level of education. So they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. So the wife of Mr. Cherry Wood in this is played by Jane Eastwood, who was a regular on SCTV and had roles in uh, Babar and Bernstein Bears, the an, an animated one. Yeah. So, so uh, the second, the secondary antagonist sort of in this movie is Nicholas, who's played by Hadley Kay. And uh, Hadley Kay was the voice of the villain Darkheart in the second Care Bears movie that we were talking about that was critically panned. Uh, he was also in Superman 2 as the kid who nearly fell off of Niagara Falls. Um, well, he did sort of, but Superman saved him, I yeah. believe. So. In Superman 2. It's important. Yeah. Superman 2. So in 1997, he was the first person to voice Scooby-Doo after the voice of Don Messick. And nobody has been able to voice Scooby-Doo correctly since Don Messick died, I, I will say. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, and uh, he's currently the voice of Nurzak in the Bakugan series. I know nothing about Bakugan, so yeah. I guess our, our, our Weebu listeners will have to inform yeah. me about Bakugan. Before so. we move on, I have a question about these characters. Is Nicholas Mr. Cherrywood? Yes. That's the implication, right? No, it is. And I edit that out of the notes on, on, on the chance that, that you would ask that question yeah. so that we so could discuss that, it. That's the that's the implication because when Mr. Cherrywood... I thought... Uh, uh, okay, go ahead. Yeah, we can get into this yeah. now. That's fine. So when, when Mr. Cherrywood starts to tell the tale of the Care Bears, he the, the kids in his orphanage tell him, oh, put on the storytelling hat, put on the storytelling hat. And so he puts... Top hat he, and he gets he, out a magician's wand. Yeah, and, and, he, and, and the, the character of Nicholas in the movie is a magician's assistant. And it, it's, it's telling to note that all of the kids in the movies, you don't hear their last names. And all the adults in the movies, you don't see their first names. Right. So you have Nicholas and... Kim it's like and... a distinction. That, I mean, because when you're a little kid, at least when I was growing up, I was taught to refer to people as Mr. or Ms. or Miss or yeah. Mrs. And and so the only time you called an adult by their first name was when they told you to do so. Mm -hmm. And it was weird for them to do so. Oh, yeah. I... Now that's normal. Like things have changed. This is, you know, 35, 30 years ago. So, I still I still struggle with whether or not to call someone Mr. Someone or Mrs. Someone because I don't know them enough. I'm not familiar with them enough to, to call them by their first name, especially if they're significantly older than me. I have a friend who I've known his mom for 25 years now, and I still call her Mrs. Krause, even though I've known her for 25 years. She tells me to call her Susan, and I do call her Susan on occasion. But still, when I'm just referring to her just casually, yeah. so oh yeah, I was over and I talked to Mrs. It Krause. is a generational change that's happened since when we were kids to now. Uh, I mean, if I'm talking to somebody, I don't introduce myself as Mister So and So. Yeah, I refer my I, I give my first name, and and so it is a distinction. The thing is, is Mrs. Cherrywood is Kim. That's what I assumed. It is Kim. They're drawn similarly, and it, and it's listed that way everywhere online. Everywhere, okay. they're, they're the two of them essentially go on and and end up. I I've, I didn't put it in the notes. Uh, I actually intentionally deleted that. I, I uh, assumed that she was Kim, but I, wasn't I originally sure. put it in, and then I decided, you know, I'm going to take that out because it will give us this conversation here. We can talk about it. So yeah. Nicholas is is in fact Mr. Cherrywood. Hmm. So the next adult character because I, I reordered them from, from what you see on the voice actor websites and IMDB and Wikipedia and stuff I, I like 
I kind of rearranged again because you know I build the notes myself. I can do whatever the hell I want. So I put the adults together because I felt it was a dis- it was a good distinction to make because again, all the adults are together. The only one that I didn't do that with is Nicholas because he's a sort of adolescent that that is sort of in between. Yeah, you know. So the next one is Mr. Fettuccini, which I thought was funny. Yeah. Um, and and is voiced by Brian George, who was Babu on Seinfeld, who's this uh, reoccurring character that was. It, it's a sort of messed up thing, but what happened was is uh, on Seinfeld, his character eventually gets deported because Elaine kept messing up his mail. Uh, her and Jerry end up messing up Babu's mail, and eventually it kept him from getting his green card, and they deported him back to Pakistan oh, in a series of episodes, like earlier in the series, and then in the last episode of Seinfeld, if you watch the last episode, when they end up in court, they they get Babu from Pakistan, bring him to the courtroom, and he says, they made me get deported and all of this <laughs> stuff, and it was, it's actually really funny, but... He's Raj's father on Big Bang Theory, and I always remember him as Dr. Bashir's dad on DS9. And apparently he was Guru Pathak in Avatar. Oh, okay. You know, the, the old man uh, who gives who gives Aang advice yeah. in, the, in the Air Temple? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Now, I don't know why everywhere labels this next character as the spirit, but I always thought of it as the book. Yeah. Because it is both. Yeah, the spirit of the book or whatever. Yeah. So in this movie, Nicholas gets a book, gets a hold of this book that when he opens it, this sort of... It's like a malevolent spirit. Yeah, that sort of looks like a Maleficent ripoff. Yeah. It's a green face with really angular features so that you know that it's a villain. Yeah. But it is definitely feminine. Oh, yeah. And and it's voiced by a woman named Jackie Burroughs, who was Vera in the movie The Dead Zone with Christopher Walken. And she did... The voice work in the animated film Heavy Metal, and and th- her character, the way that it's drawn. I, do you know? Did you read any of this about her character mm-hmm. at all? Okay, so uh, again, just stuff I didn't put in the notes. But she, this character, got some flack for being a sort of ripoff of the Evil Queen from Snow White. Hmm. Okay. Because they said that. She was drawn and her voice mannerisms and the way she behaved with Nicholas was like a, a ripoff of the queen. Interesting. But so she's evil and she's essentially trying to corrupt Nicholas this whole time. And and really she's evil to be she's evil to be evil. Yeah, she is an evil spirit, I guess, and and really has no motivation other than to just be evil. It's it, yeah, it's it's one of those things that kids movies, especially for little kids, these, these younger kids' movies do where they create good and bad as a binary, mm-hmm. right? There's no gray. Now, although in this movie, Nicholas is technically a gray area of good and bad. It, essentially, he's bad until he's good. Yeah. He's just bad, and then he's good. He starts off good, he gets corrupted to bad, and then he comes back to good. Yeah, but there, it's not like he's really in the middle, which is really the, the truth of it. But, yeah. But yeah, the, they, they've created this sort of dichotomy between good and bad instead of there being a gray. But that's just mostly because I think gray is harder for kids to grasp. Yeah, they don't, you know? they don't, they don't get that until far later. Yeah. Uh, we have Jason, who's played by Sonny Benson Thrasher. And he was Max in My Pet Monster, if you remember that. I remember I had a My Pet Monster doll. It was yeah, the- I was doing some research for one of our episodes, maybe like six months ago, and I watched the, the, the first the pilot episode for that it's that's something we should cover it's 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 odd 
It's 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 very odd. Yeah. <laughs> then Kim is played. Uh, the Kim sh- is Jason's sister. Yeah, Jason is younger. Kim is the older sister. It looks like the age is is probably like six and eleven or something, mm-hmm. or maybe eight and eleven, something like that. And Kim is played by Cree Summer Franks. We've who, talked about her a lot. Actually, yeah, she, on this show. she is a fairly prolific voice actress. Talented too. Yeah, she plays, and, and she's kind of hot. <laughs> let's let's be fair. She like, plays Summers uh, is hot. She plays Susie Carmichael on Rugrats, Princess Kaida on Disney animated film uh, Atlantis, which you love. Yeah, she's also Penny in Inspector Gadget, Freddy from a Different World, and is the voice of Elmira on Tiny Toons. Yes. Yeah. When I think of Cree Summer, uh, I've always thought of world? her from a different world. Because uh, I had a crush on her from A Different World. I know there's other other girls on A Different World that like you you might be led to think is more attractive. I don't know why, but Cree Summer is always the one that I like. Um, but yeah, so she's very famous, very prolific, and and I think uh, she did a pretty good job here. So the next one is we, Love a Lot Bear. Yeah, we get into the Care Bears, and there are. I a think lot. we should blast through these. Yeah, li- let's just let's just name them and maybe highlight some of the ones that really need to be highlighted. 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 Yes. Love a Lot Bears, done by Georgia Engel. Friend Bear, Champ Bear, Swiftheart Rabbit. Yeah, there are, are a all, lot of Care Bears. Are all done by Ava Almos. And uh, th- I did want to just say that she was actually a writer for Pinky and the Brain, huh. which is cool. And she co-wrote the pilot episode for Invader Zim and was a co-producer for a bunch of episodes of Wild Thornberry. So, so we have a Nickelodeon tie-in here. Yeah. So uh, the next one is Share Bear, Fun Share... Or Funshine Bear is done by Patricia Black. There's Birthday Bear, Cheer Bear, Baby Tugs Bear, all done by Melanie Brown. And she's actually a, a, a musician who now goes by Melly Fresh. Her legal name was changed to Melody Melody. It's like, God, we, okay. Way to have a tongue twister yeah. for a name. Now, Grumpy Bear is done by Bobby Dermer, who is Ralph Raccoon in the animated series of the Raccoons. And I just want to mention him because... His voice work, I think, is 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 pretty good. Yeah, it uh, is. I think Grumpy Bear's voice is, is pretty good. Secret Bear, Annie Evans is the voice, and I I even put this in the notes. I refuse to look up what sh- other stuff she's done. Uh, I made that executive decision because Secret Bear only has one word, one audible and, line, and it's yay. Yeah, at the end. Yeah. And, and that's it. The rest of it, Secret Bear just goes... Yeah. So, that, that Secret Bear's thing is the Secret Bear whispers to everybody. Yeah. Now there's Bedtime Bear, done by Gloria Figura. Uh, Figura. Wish Bear is Janet Lane Green. And Lots of Heart Elephant, Gentle Heart Lamb are Lubagoy. Now, I did want to stop because Lubagoy is Oon in Jason the Wheeled Warriors. That makes sense because Oon's voice kind of sounds like uh, Lots of Heart. Yeah. And, and Lots of Heart's like one of the more... And Gentle Heart Lamb are kind of two of the more... They're, they're caper cousins, and they're kind of more of the more popular yeah. characters. Baby Hugs Bear is Terry Hawks, who was uh, assistant voice director for English dub of Sailor Moon, and she's also the original English dub voice of Serena slash Sailor Moon. So she's somebody to mention. I think we've actually talked about her before. Braveheart Lion is Dan Hennessy, and we've talked about Dan Hennessy a lot. In fact, because he was Murphy from the RoboCop animated series. Yeah. The, the one that we covered. And I'm not going to go into Harry Dean Stanton, who also did Braveheart. But next character is Brightheart Raccoon, who is Eleanor's favorite now. Oh, really? Yeah. And that is voiced by Jim Henshaw. And uh, you have Good Luck Bear, Playful Heart Monkey, are done by Marla Lukowski, who I just wanted to discuss. 
she was involved with Jason the Wheel Wars also, and and some other like Dino Saucers and a bunch of other stuff. Starcom, the Graham's Bear, Cozy Heart Penguin, Treat Heart Pig, all done by Pauline Rennie, and then Tender Heart Bear, who's kind of a, one of the main characters. She's best known as the voice of Rudolph in all the Rankin and Bass production features that that Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer character, and it's, it's voiced by Billy Mae Richards. Yeah, it, it's exactly it, it's it's essentially the same voice. Uh, yeah. Rudolph and Tenderheart, and I always Tenderheart is the leader of the Care Bears. Am I correct in that assumption? Yeah. So, yeah, Care Bears Care Bears are led by by Tenderheart, and then there's just so many characters. You you realize that yeah. these are and, all made and you, for. Toys. I mean, you saw I put I did do the legwork. I put in stuff that all these people did. I'm we're just not going to do it. We're just not. There's too many people. You so, can go to our notes. We put them up on, online. You can read them if you want. So let's let's jump into what the movie is about. So the movie yeah. is about it's a story that Mr. Cherrywood is telling to these kids. And the, turns out it's essentially it's a it's a true story. Yeah, it's an autobiographical story about his youth. And it it, it starts off as two different stories where you have you have two of the Care Bears that go down to uh, befriend Jason and Kim because they're orphans and they've been... Well... Like, everybody has left them. I don't them. know if they're orphans, but they just don't have parents. Yeah. And they just they talk about uh, adults leaving them. And I, I got this... The way that I picked it up was... They were abandoned. They were abandoned or they were wards of the state. So either uh, parents were killed in something tragic and they had no extended family or... Uh, the parents are drug addicts and they're taken away from their parents or their parents are in jail for something uh, violent and horrific. Yeah, Which and- I know as an adult, like that's where my brain goes. Yeah, but the, 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 don't think that that's what they had in mind when they did the Care Bears movie. Yeah, the time period of this too is, is kind of questionable. But this movie came out in 85 and, and Mr. Cherrywood is looking like he's an older guy. He's like maybe in his late 50s, early 60s. I get the feeling that this movie, like this, the actual story of this movie takes place in, I want to say, like the 30s, it seems like, maybe the 40s, because in the movie, there is a... Uh, the, the, yeah, a I'd lo- say 40s. Yeah, in the movie, a lot of the action takes place, the actual action takes place in what's essentially a traveling circus with actual caravans. What's on Earth happens in a circus. Yeah, that has actual caravans and like... A magician, Mr. Fettuccini, is, has a has a magician's caravan that has his picture on With the like side. With like the wooden wagon wheels. Yeah, so you don't really see that kind of stuff really post-1940. 1950. 1950, yeah. Because yeah. so, well, I'm thinking back to the old, to the movie Dumbo. Mm-hmm. From I, I think Dumbo was forty one or forty two. Yeah, and and they have those sort of uh, wooden wagon wheels, and that that was like that was a normal thing to see. Yeah, in, in the in the early forties. So I imagine it's supposed to take place early forties, so uh, late thirties. Yeah. So, so part of the part of the story takes place with the with the Care Bears befriending Kim and Jason, who are just oh, we don't want to be friends with anybody, and some mishap happens with this with this magic rescue beam that they're trying to make up in Carolot, which is where the Care Bears live up in the clouds. And it transports Jason and Kim to Carolot. They have fun with the Care Bears. They befriend them. And then they, they sort of turn their, their, they get transported up there, by the way, because one of the baby Care Bears 
is dicking around with some technology they're not supposed to, pushing buttons they're not supposed to. So that means whoever's job it was to watch the baby Care Bears, I think it's Grams. It was Grams. Grams lost them. Grams fails. Graham, that's your one job, Grams, is yeah. to watch those two kids, and you failed miserably. She actually gets all the Care Bears that are working on it to go help her look for them, and then that's what causes them to be able to go down there and mess with it. So, terrible, terrible Grams. Yeah, so so Kim and Jason's outlook changes. They want to be friends with people. And then the story switches to that of Nicholas, who's a magician's assistant, who has no friends, who wants friends. But then he sort of turns in. It's funny. And Mr. Fettuccini tells him, like, uh, you know, you can't, you'll never have friends. Yeah, or you, you'll never be a success because you don't. You're basically a fuck up and no one's going to want to be yeah, around Yeah, because he's very, he's very... Uh, Kind of tripping over his own self. Yeah, and I, you know that's why I got the feeling that he's got to be like puberty age because your body's you know lanky and you're growing. You don't know what the hell to do with it. You're very clumsy at that age. What and what's funny? What's what was funny to me, and it's something that we talk a lot about off the show, is uh, there's a there's a community of people out there called incels, and they they tend to be very very aggressive towards women, and I kind of almost put Nicholas in that group. Because well, he's a pre-incel. Yeah, because he's he, not at the point where he hates women yet. But no, but, but the, he could get there. But the reasoning is that he doesn't that he doesn't have any friends, and he ends up being pissed off at the world because of it, and wanting as to if take, it's the world's fault. Okay, and wanting, to, and wanting to take everyone else down with him, and that's what sort of pushes him along with like fun, like he gets the book, and the book tells him you need to punish all these people and make sure that they don't laugh at you anymore, and so he turns into this sort of hate the world type mentality where he just he wants to create spells or help create the spells that are going to really get the rest of the world for not being friends with him yeah so he's just essentially decided he's not going to have any friends yeah if i uh, can't have any friends no one will well it's more so like well i'm having a hard time finding friends so i've just decided i'm not going to and i'm going to ruin it for everybody well when you travel around with a traveling circus it might be a little hard to make friends yeah you didn't think about that yeah so but, you know that's his problem so the care bears uh they arrive to try and convince him to that they're his friends, that they care about him and, and whatnot. And that there's people out there that want to be his friend. He just hasn't run into them yet. And he sort of banishes them somehow back to, back to Carolot. And then he starts crafting a spell. Well, that because the book that he found, he, this book that he finds that's in Mr. Fettuccini's trunk is a magic it's an actual magic book that is sentient mm -hmm. and once the the book has been opened then then it it now essentially gets to wreak havoc on the world and and so it's giving him power through magical phrases that are are all nonsense words they're just made up words except for one which is the phrase ishkabibble and i just wanted to talk about that because it's the it's the spell that he casts to put Mr. Fettuccini to sleep. And this was actually a very popular slang in American uh, uh, common phraseology for about 20, 20 uh, 15 to, to 30 years or so, back around the turn of the century, uh, up until the mid-late 20s. And... and I think actually up into into the early 30s even. Mm -hmm. And it really actually means, appropriately enough, who cares. Huh. But it's also the name of a comedian who called himself 
Ish Kabibble. That was actually his stage name that was based on uh, the the common phraseology that, that was used at that time. So he took this phrase as sort of like, who cares? And then he adopted it. His name is actually uh, Merwin Bogue. He died, uh, God, I think back in the 90s or something. Hmm. But uh, yeah, he's a, a fam- he's a very famous comedian and, and he would play, uh, he'd play instruments. It was kind of like a thing. You can look him up. I think he's on YouTube. Like a vaudeville comedian? Yeah, yeah. He's an old vaudeville comedian because he was born in 1908. So. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, uh, the Care Bears uh, end up trying to get back to because because of his spell the caring meter in Carolot goes down and it actually damages Carolot. And this was one of the few notes that I wrote down from the movie is that he casts this spell that essentially causes all these kids that are there to see his magic act causes them to all start fighting and they all start beating on each other. And that one spell on just that little bit of that, you know, 20 people in that in the tent causes the caring meter to go down and causes like a cloud quake that that really destroys most of Carolot. And then you find out if if he keeps going through with his with his plan to make all the kids not care, then Carolot is going to be destroyed if the caring meter drops down to zero. So because they have damaged the 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 city and the the transport ray isn't operational, they have to figure out a way to get back down to earth. Because they live up in the clouds. I always, and I know that that's a plot hole, but I didn't see it as a, one, as a kid, it was a plot hole I never noticed. In fact, I didn't even notice it rewatching it until you pointed it out. What, that the 20 kids caused The 20 kids thing. Yeah, because I, I think the way that I had always imagined it as a kid is that those are the 20 kids that we saw, but it affected the whole world. Yeah. That was the way that I imagined it as a kid. And I think that that was the intent. But of course, you only see kids at the carnival. Yeah. And so you just... And you really only see about 10 kids. Yeah. I assume that there was more because they didn't show the whole tent. Yeah. But you really only see about 10 kids. See, I figured it was a spell that he cast on the world because this book is supposed to be like all powerful and whatever. Yeah. And, and eventually you find out that the only two kids in the essentially in the world that still care that still have feelings are kim and jason and for in order for his spell to be complete to make nobody care in the world he needs to you know essentially get them and and either chain like put his spell directly on them or i don't know kill them so the last two kids that care yeah Yeah. so the 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 care bears in order to get back down to earth they set sail and i never actually thought about this i remember this from the movie that they actually get in a boat and they sail somewhere. and In water. In water. And I thought about it. I was like, how do they sail somewhere? But then I thought, oh, they're in the clouds and some of them have water in them. So that's how they sail around. Well, I mean, the <laughs> thing is, is in this, like you have trees and you have actual yeah. water, water. And they get out and walk in the clouds. I always thought of it as, and I know this is maybe a weird thing, but I always thought of it as that in the universe of Care Bears... The Care Bears themselves and the land of Carelot was like an alternate dimension. Yeah, it could be. I, it's like an alternate dimension and their cars and their their light beaming, uh, their, their transported technology, basically. Yeah. And, and some of their other stuff, it, it essentially is is the, the way to travel between universes maybe that's the way that i thought about it and in that universe that the clouds are ground cover maybe i don't know because they have flying cloud cars and little cloud motorcycles and motorcycles and 
Yeah. So in all the, kinds of stuff in their in their travel with the boat, they start running into the Care Bear cousins, and Kim and Jason end up. They get they're supposed to be transported back to Earth, right? But it's right when the cloud quake happens, so they get transported to the Forest of Feelings because yeah. something screwed. Uh, the vast majority, the a good portion of the movie is Kim and Jason's travels. And uh, on one end, mostly with the with the Care Bear cousins and two of the Care Bears yeah. in one journey. The rest of the Care Bears on another journey on the boat, mm-hmm. and and the spirit of the book who has now manifested as a as a dark cloud attacking both groups at different times and kind of getting pushed back. And it's not until at a certain point when they come together that they are able to finally eject the spirit from Carolot. But yeah. that's when they decide to go back to Earth. Yeah, and, and they need they... to they need to get to Nicholas and make him yeah. essentially reverse his spell. And Jason has a key that can close the book, which, you know, at the end of the movie, the, the key gets destroyed. And I, I always thought this was, the, I, even as a kid, I thought it was weird that he needs the key. They talk about how important the key is. And the key in gets order destroyed, to, like, as soon as he walks like over Like it's there. nothing by the spirit. And then... One of the Care Bears Secret. just makes another key. Yeah, Secret Bear, because Secret Bear's symbol on his chest is a lock. lock. And so yeah. he just, he manifests a key out of his lock. So, and he's just like, oh, derp, 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 derp. Yeah, and then they, so, they close the book, and they 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 uh, fix everything, and everyone's happy again. Everyone starts caring again. And then that's the end of the movie. So so let's pick it apart. What what were your thoughts about the, the narration on this? Because I see that as like a separate part. So the narration, what did you think? I liked the narration. The narr- I thought Nick, Mickey Rooney's voice was good here. Yeah, he did the, a good job. Yeah, he's he was good at the voiceover. He he seemed like he was a very caring type of individual. So I didn't have a problem with that. But I, you did I with did the have rest a, of it. Yeah, I did have a problem with the... And really, I was saying before we started recording, it's really a problem, I feel, of of like vocal direction uh, in, on the part of either the, the voice director or maybe even the director. And it just annoyed me because it seemed like all the characters pretty much were whisper talking the whole time. It it seemed like they were recording in a sound booth, but they didn't want to annoy the people next to them. So it's a lot of like, well, I don't know what's going on over there. And, oh, we need to get down there to help out the kids. Well, you know, I, I saw it differently because... I don't think it was so much that, so much as the voices sounded, they just sounded more kind and soft. And, you know, our audience is between the ages of two and six, and we just we just want to be sweet and soft with them. And then the only characters who would speak with a full volume were adults. Adults. Or the villain. And, yeah. and occasionally the leader of the Care Bears. Yeah, Tenderheart would sometimes, would sometimes and, really vocalize. And occasionally Braveheart. Yeah. I, I didn't see it so much as whisper talking, so much as I felt it was more the voice actors were were trying to intone a sense of of kindness and sweetness that is, I think, sort of hard to, to create yeah, well, without doing that. Yeah, because or, instead or there of... were times when there was whisper talking in one of the songs, right? That we were Yeah. That you were you and I were talking about before we recorded. Mm-hmm. And and in that one, that I think the whisper talking there, because that was true whisper talking, that one I think was more to create a sense of urgency for small children. Or to show that they're scared. Like, oh, oh no, oh no. Right. Because with kids it's very easy to exaggerate and, and to I mean, I have a three and a half year old. She is the prime demographic for this movie. Yeah. 
and and I I don't know I, that didn't seem out of place for me at all. Well, I mean, it just seemed it maybe it's because I concentrate a lot on the on the voice actors, the voice acting in general. Maybe it's because I get that maybe they were trying to simulate a sort of like a feeling of of almost intimacy and caring and whatever. But to me, it almost came off as patronizing a little bit. Like, oh no. We really gotta get this thing fixed. Like I, I don't know. It just it seemed off, and I'm like I said, I don't know if it was the voice direction yeah. or I think it's more so. I, I think it was. A, I think it was a production choice, and I think it was a production choice because, as a parent of a three and a half year old, sometimes you you know it, that may be the best way to speak to a small child. Yeah, and hey, maybe you know? maybe that's what they were thinking. Maybe they that maybe the that's how it worked with the small kids because that was yeah. the prime demographic. So now, what what about the animation? What did you think about the animation? The animation to me, it it vacillated back and forth between being really good and really really uh, floaty, detailed, and then yeah, being kind of floaty. Where it. I feel I felt like the the animation of the humans was a little floaty, and yes. the animation yeah. of the bears and the cousins was, was much more crisp. Oh and, yeah, no, the animation of the bears and the cousins was really good, and the book. Yeah, the animation of the book is great. Anything, she is she is really really good, but the humans were just animated weirdly. Yeah, they were floaty. It seemed like they were swimming a little bit. That is not abnormal if you watch the other ones, and I did. I watched the Alice in Wonderland Care Bears movie just like the other day and and the humans feel weird they just they don't they don't seem like they're all together there just in the physical sense yeah you so know? that that was that was the main issue i had there were some other issues i guess more philosophically with with the movie that that it it's really about care bears in general that they seem kind of like a religious allegory because they are, and, and later on, there's actually another character that I think gets brought up in the series. It's the great cloud keeper who I feel like is a, like is a representative of God. He's this bearded guy who takes care of the clouds. He, I don't think he's verbal. He doesn't say anything, but he's this, you know, old man looking guy that with a push broom that, that cleans up the clouds where the where the Care Bears live. And the Care Bears live up in the clouds. It's almost like they live in heaven and they descend down to help people who are in need. They they apparently know yeah. everything about the kids. When they come down to Jason and Kim, Tenderheart is like... Or no, it's not Tenderheart. It's, it's Secret Bear and like Friendship Bear. Well, the thing is, is he is only in the first two TV specials that were made before this movie. Oh, okay. And then... The Cloud Keeper. Yes. And then in a single episode of the Deke first season of the Care Bears TV show, um, it's never really revealed what his first name is. And he's the only human being up in the sky where the Care Bears live in in those whatever. But outside of that, he doesn't exist. Yeah. So it's, it's just weird. Like they know everything about these kids. They know everything about Kim and Jason. Tenderheart knows everything about Nicholas. Well, they like, do make reference to the whole uh, religious allegory stuff in the second one. Reviewers did in the second one because they they said it's essentially a Faustian story. Of, in the second movie. Yes. If you don't know anything about Faust, the, the whole idea is that somebody who sold their soul to the devil. Yeah. Right? And so in, in the second movie, this character sort of trades his soul to this evil bad guy 
uh, aka the devil. Yeah. Uh, and then they they end up being able to redeem and take the soul back, and the, the Care Bears sort of act as a sort of um, as a sort of angelic figure mm-hmm. organization throughout the second movie. And and this, I think that's that if you think about it, that is sort of what they represent because they're. They represent love and good things, and they live in the clouds, and they come down to protect children and and, and it, to get almost, peace on Earth. And it's almost entirely children. I don't know if they ever like come down to screw help. the adults. Sean, yeah. adults are on their own. They don't ever come down to help the adults. It's always to help children. It's to show that it's to show children that someone cares and that they have friends and that they're safe and this and that. The other thing I wanted to talk about is so the Care Bears are quasi magical. They have they they have the ability to create things out of clouds. They create and to vehicles. travel between cloud and human dimension. Yeah, they're, they're, they're which able, is my theory. They're able to walk on clouds, and they're able to and and bestow that ability on kids when they're up in Kerala. Well, and then there's the Care Bear Stare. That's what I wanted to get to. So the Care Bear Stare is their weapon. I want their to call tummy it. beams. Yeah, it's it's their magical ability to really do any number of things that it, that the scene calls for. It can either it can either create a like a projectile type beam that that damages something in a way, but it's always something that is a negative thing. It's so, essentially the Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, of the, so of the Care Bear series. So they can they can they have their they have their tummy symbols that each of them is a different one. That that dis, that sort of distinguishes them from the other ones. They're all right. different colors. Some are flowers or yeah, flowers, moons or hearts. Tender heart is just a big heart. Bright heart raccoon is a is a light bulb that's in the shape of a heart. Yeah, and so they can either they can either manifest whatever's on their stomach as an actual thing that comes out. Like tender heart can like project a heart out and hold onto it and give it to someone, or he can use it. To blast the the Care Bear stare beam. Well, like Grumpy has a has an umbrella, and I believe in the TV show, he uh, he because his he is a rain. An, it's a rain, like yeah, it's a rain cloud and an umbrella, umbrella yeah, because he's grumpy. And at one point, I think in the show, he projects out that umbrella and he grabs it and he floats when he falls out of something. Yeah, but you know they don't do that kind of stuff much in the movies. That's more in the show. In the movie, the only time that they do it is when they when they all project out when they're floating in the boat and the boat's about to go over a waterfall and all the Care Bears project out their symbol and it goes up to the to the top of the boat. The, the, to the mast and they all start spinning around and all of them together create this giant heart balloon that like lets the lets the boat float yeah. away i mean i i just felt that that was the the because the care bears stare is a it's a stare of love and i just figured they were combining their love and creating a manifested heart right? yeah i i saw it in two different ways i saw it when they're trying to protect someone when they're when they're using it to i don't know empower or try to change someone like when they do it to when they do it to uh, Nicholas. Nicholas, I felt like it could be taken one of two ways. It's either them lovingly staring at him, you know, and obviously it's Care Bear stare because it rhymes and it's easy to say. Yeah. And like, what else would you call it? Like the Care Bear power beam of love. Like it, it, Care Bear this stare. This is not an anime. Yeah, yeah. It rolls off the tongue. And so that's, I'm assuming that's why they went with it. I'm, I'm guessing that it wasn't part of like the greeting card line it's something they just sort of came up with like we need to give them some kind of magic power i think because they saw these things on their stomachs all with different symbols like hey we'll have a magic beam shoot out of their belly yeah so either it's it's them expressing their love and concern to the person that they're trying to that they're shooting the beam at 
or it's them doing more of that like i want to protect this person so i'm shooting this beam of of like protective protection love. protective love against this thing that's that's coming at because the love conquers evil or, yeah you know. it's it's the harry potter See, bullshit I, the I ancient ancient magic i think of it as more like it, uh it's a physical manifestation of their psychic telekinetic powers it could be because because if you think about it they are bears that are able to travel through dimensions right mm-hmm. they're able to form things from nothing and and they are able to manifest physical structures from nothing so i i saw it as some sort of telekinetic ability yeah i that's why i think that i i wonder if that means that they could use that if they if they shot like a, a focus beam like through a lens that they could like uh, do lobotomies or like blow up brains with their <laughs> with their care bear stare <laughs> lobotomy bear his symbol is like a magnifying glass and like a, a ray of light <laughs> <laughs> oh with like a scalpel next to it just yeah like, <laughs> it's like like, uh, oh, oh, little Billy, he, he can't feel love. Lobotomy bear, I guess this is up to you. <laughs> I'm so happy now. It just starts drooling. <laughs> Poor lobotomy bear. Or it's like ice pick bear. It just oh. goes through the ice socket. <laughs> oh, God. Well, that's not exactly how it was depicted in these. But, you know, I don't... I feel like as what this movie was intended to be which is a fun or as a, a an innocuous family film to sell a toy uh that is is primed towards the under six demographic it 100 percent accomplishes its goal yeah it does this isn't really a movie for us it's not a movie for adults it's not a movie for teenagers it's not a it's not even a movie for i don't like, know it's not a movie for adolescents i mean the thing is adolescents my even. kid loved this movie so much that i we had to watch the second one the next night and and she's watching the animated show now she's she's watching episodes you know uh a little at a time now. Yeah, I, I don't. I know Care Bears got remade too. Like there, there's a there's there a, are some CG ones you can find them on Netflix. Yeah, I didn't exactly. bother to watch them. They, they looked weird, so I didn't. I just didn't want to do it. I don't. I don't think I can remove my rose colored glasses for this. I enjoyed it anyways. I don't even care. You know that one of the things that's really interesting to talk about about this movie though, outside of the movie itself, is actually the production of it is actually really interesting because you know they. They went through kind of a process to get this movie made and 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 people didn't necessarily want to make the movie. And this was Nelvana's last chance to make a movie. Mm-hmm. Cuz they made Rock and Roll and I think it cost them like 8 million dollars and they were in the they were deep in the hole. And then they made this movie for 2 million dollars and it it kind of put them back out. And 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 again it terrified Disney. And, and it kind of forced a bunch of these other guys to really kind of reevaluate where they were. But the movie itself and the, the way that it got made is, is sort of interesting, I, I think, maybe in more ways than, than the movie itself. Because, you know, they, they were it – was, it was such a big project for them to undertake. Mm-hmm. And they sold this movie essentially on a demo, on a demo reel. And and they they essentially made this demo reel, and and what they did was to convince the production partnership between TCFC and Kenner Toys, the co-founder of Nelvana, Michael Hirsch, held a competition inspired by the Pepsi Cola Pepsi Challenge, mm-hmm. and they tested clips from Nelvana and other Vine Studios, and checked the quote animation quality, music, sound effects, color, etc. Um, of each of these 
And then he asked the producers to decide on the best demo. And Nelvana scored the highest. And Hirsch later recalled the words of his partners saying, we know you've rigged this against everybody else because you've chosen the clips. <laughs> but we like the approach. <laughs> and, and this was sort of referred to by Hirsch and the rest of Nelvana as, quote, the dark years because of all of those issues. And there was a, a 2009 interview with Clive Smith with Canadian Business Magazine. He said, I swear I grimaced at the thought of doing a Care Bears feature. But Michael went out, Michael Hirsch went out and actually brought that project in. That was like his baby was this. We probably would have never got it without Michael Hirsch. Yeah. And, and the animation was split between three animation houses and and one was wang films which we've talked about several times uh, out of taiwan han hal hyung up which is out of korea and mihan studios also out of korea and these last two the the two korean companies had some serious issues between them and novana they had a, a big language barrier obviously because canada versus korea mm-hmm. but that wasn't the, the biggest issue the biggest one was at one point two of the three novana founders patrick lobert and clive smith spent three days trying to persuade several unpaid animators to return a bunch of really important layout sketches. And then to get them back, Novana had to go to Korea and give these animators $20,000 in U.S. currency, but translated into Korean currency uh, just to get their work back so that they can continue to finish the movie. And then because of this, the movie fell way behind schedule. They had, at that point, they'd already had a release date and everything. They'd already started their promo. And they had to push it back. And they No, they didn't. So that's why they hired oh. Wang Films Production in Taiwan. That's why there's a third produ- uh, producer of the movie. So they basically had to go into overdrive to get the movie finished. They had to. They had to. Uh, the movie also had a bunch of uh, promotional stuff, with pe- which people might remember, like uh, stuff with Pizza Hut. There was a, a whole line of glassware mugs and I, I remember those that you can you can find on on uh amazon they're not that expensive and there's uh, tie-ins with trick cereal box uh toys and uh, around the time hirsch predicted that the care bears movie would be its decades response to pinocchio and snow white and the seven drawer uh, snow white and the seven dwarves saying these characters say something important to children our challenge has been to create a very distinct character for each care bear a lot of effort went into bringing out their individuality. And which I, I think is sort of true. Yeah, I, I have to say that in terms, of, in terms of almost everything that we've watched, I mean, Care Bears probably, to kids, Care Bears probably has the, the best message. Uh, yeah. just, just in terms of, of the simplicity of the message and what the actual message is. Like, the basic story of Care Bears is... You shouldn't despair. Like there's people out there that care about you. Yeah. Don't you know? Don't fall into this uh, into this type of uh, behavior where you think that nobody loves you, nobody likes you. There, there's always going to be someone out there that 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 cares about you. And and they, it's sort of a uh, each of the Care Bears shows it as a really as an unconditional kind of love they they like the hence good... the, the the angelic god uh religious undertone yeah uh mentions by like some in, of the reviewers like in this story you have you have uh uh kim and jason who are just sort of they're they're kind of mad but they're not bad kids and the care bears go and try and help them but then you have nicholas who might not have started out bad but starts doing some really bad stuff 
in terms of his spells and trying to corrupt everybody. Yeah. And they still try to save him because they their argument is everyone deserves to be saved. Everyone deserves love and friendship and whatever. So really, I mean, it's a it's it's really kind of a great message to to show kids, especially in this day and age where there's so much like hatred and vile kids are nasty mean to each other, man. Well, I'm just saying in general, like in yeah, the general I mean, they were world, we're growing up too. It's not like it's changed. It's yeah, just, it's there's just, a lot of there's a lot of nastiness out there. And in terms of message, like this is probably a good thing to yeah. You know, you should you should make friends and be nice to people and be kind and loving and whatever, rather than any rather than anything else. Like it's 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 a pretty good message in my mind. Well, and he got he did get some flack a little bit on the messaging uh, in that. The way that he chose to tell the story, uh, Hirsch in particular, uh, because of some of the stuff that he pushed for with the, the making of this movie, the there's a lot of scenes that were sort of considered to be frightening for like little kids, like with the with the tree coming to life and the bird and all yeah. this stuff, the the water monster. Although you know, as an adult, I'm watching, I'm like, it's not nearly as scary as it is as it was maybe made out to be. I get the feeling but, that I get the feeling that critics always underestimate or misestimate uh, the reaction of kids. Right. And so like, parents... this is going to be too scary for the kids. Like, well, you know, parents, parents were critical and, and that's really what it was. They were critical of some of that scariness. And he actually said that the frightening scenes are necessary for the reality of the hero and villain, just as it works in nursery rhymes. Okay. And that kids work out their fears this way by having a little bit of, fear to play on in order to see the dichotomy between good and evil and that essentially like they'll get to it on their own you know if you you know yes it's a it's a sweet movie for kids uh, for under six but you know you got to have a little fear and they'll be okay they'll work it out you know they'll what figure it out if you coddle them too much it becomes a problem which i think is really oh i mean that's kind of the way i try to raise my kid is that a little fear is good a little bit of danger is good they need sometimes to feel like they're on their own so that they learn to do it on their own. Otherwise, they never will. You know what? It, it with. I just thought about this. If you have a if you have a, a show, a story, or whatever, with no real villain or not an effective villain, something that's essentially not scary. You know what you wind up with? My Little Pony. Yeah, yeah. They're completely ineffectual villains who never really pose any real kind of threat to pe- to anything. Yeah. From what I remember, it, essentially the villains all tried to, they tried to make them seem so evil and nasty, but they just... They're just buffoons. They're just buffoons. And and then, or in the case of the uh, those weird crocodile things, I don't remember what they were called. Yeah. But they, they, those things ended up, if I remember, like just remembering back to my memory of the show as a kid, because we didn't watch those episodes, but I remember... The, those little crocodile things ended up being good. They were just like misunderstood. So it's like every time the villain ends up just being good. Yeah. Even the big giant spider, I think, ends up being considered friendly. I mean, it's just, there's really no no real conflict. And so if there's no conflict, there's no resolution. And kids don't know how to get if, to the answer if they don't learn how to get there. On if their there's own. no if there's no conflict, there's no growth. And if there's no if there's no villain or evil, there's no bravery. There's no reason to do anything. It's just you're doing something to do it. So, which is boring. Yeah. At the end of the day, recommend. Yeah. Don't recommend. Yeah, I recommend it. I mean, obviously, Eleanor loved it. My kid loved it to the point that we watched the second one in, in a couple episodes. So, yeah. uh, at least for kids, hundred percent. For just for you, if you watch this at some point, or you like this kind of stuff, sure, go ahead. If you've never seen it before, that I don't know. I mean, 
Yeah. It's not going to mean anything to you if you're watching it for the first time. Yeah, you rem- might watch it and be like, meh. But remember that this movie was directed at like three to six year olds. Yeah. Like that's the core demographic of this yeah. movie. And and because of that core demographic, and like I was talking about with the story, I recommend it too, because honestly, it's 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 a little saccharine and a little sappy, but it ends up having a good message and it and it can be entertaining to the to someone who's in that age range. So it it really works at what it's trying to do. Yeah, but if you're just an adult who just wants to go back and, and watch it, nah, I You're not gonna get anything out of you'll it. You'll get I mean, you'll probably get zero out of it, but but maybe some like I don't know, mild entertainment and combined with mild boredom. I, I you know, if you've watched it before, though, for sure, this, I don't think it will ruin your, your nostalgia glasses. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think, I, for me, I can ruin my nostalgia glasses for this. This is one of those other ones that I don't know if I can separate. Yeah. Well, that should probably do it for this week, then. Yeah, so, I think so, too. Yeah. So, if you want to find us and talk to us on Twitter, our Twitter handle is at RemasteredCast. That is at RemasteredCast. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for Childhood Remastered. Please rate us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. The rating really helps us out. Yeah, and we'd also like to thank John Howarth for the use of our intro music, Nascent. You can find links to his SoundCloud on our website, childhoodremastered.com. And until next time, this is Sean. And Chris. And this has been your Childhood Remastered. We will see you next time. A-B. <laughs>